Speak the charm of nature. There will come a time on the planet Earth when science and technology will be long forgotten. When wizards will rule the world. This is the Arnamancy Podcast. The world is weirder than we know. Join your host, Reverend Eric, in his diverse array of amazing guests in an exploration of tarot, magic, the occult, and the history of Western esotericism. The Arnamancy Podcast exists thanks to the support of generous listeners like you. Please consider supporting this podcast for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash arnamancy. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, this is a very Enochian Christmas with Cliff. Uh, Cliff is the author behind Enochian Today. He's been doing ceremonial magic for about 20 years, which is great. That's a lot of experience. But the thing that we're really going to be getting into today is the stuff that he's been working on for about the last two years, which is sort of like a deep dive into Enochian magic. If you follow his blog, you've seen he's been working really hard on it, and he's written... Uh, Sam Blockian level blog posts, many, many, many uh, hundreds, maybe thousands of words uh, filled with his experiments and his uh, successes and failures and his process. Um, And uh, it's pretty fascinating to see all that stuff sort of, you know, on display as somebody's going through it. And now we're going to get a little bit of the inside story. Hi, Cliff. Thanks for coming on. Hey, Rev. It's good to be here. Thank you so much for having me. So uh, your first blog post about Enochian, um, I think, was on July 11th, 2020, so about a year and a half ago. Jeez, yeah, yeah. And it, it, you were basically talking about like your plan, like how you were going to progress through Enochian. Um, mm-hmm. And in, the, in that blog post, uh, I'll, I'll have a link to it in the, in the show notes, so if anybody wants to like follow your journey from the beginning, they can go start there. But you kind of talked about uh, a lot of the sources you were going to... Um, a lot of the things you were looking through. Now, Enochian is getting, you know, people are talking about it a lot more, but can we, why don't you give us a little rundown, like, what the heck is it? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's like, a, try to describe quantum mechanics, you know, in three simple words. <laughs> it is, uh, it is tough, isn't it? The standard model doesn't solve everything. Oh, shit, that's like uh, five that, words. That, that was close, <laughs> close. We're, you're, that's pretty close. What I would say is that Enochian is something of a transitional piece of magic that I think is a useful bridge to bo- to a lot of what was going on uh, with John Dee and uh, Edward Kelly, who was his scryer, uh, and w- the work that John Dee in particular was doing at the time. The, the history is long and complicated, but it, it basically boils down to uh, a lot of astrology, a lot of uh, elemental magic, as well as um, is a, a lot of what you would call the Merkava or the Hekelo tradition uh, in Jewish mysticism. And what I would say is, is that it's not, it's not always clean. And the, the funny thing, it, it really is what I would call a true transmission because if you look at a lot of the details and the, the, the amount, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? The Occam's razor, if you were to apply Occam's razor to this, it's impossible to make the argument that this is just something that some guy made up or that some that somebody just synthesized from other sources. This really is what I would call a true transmission. And we can we can get into the details of that. Some of that, um, you know, it, it's just, but it's mind blowing the amount of stuff. So it happened. It, the whole transmission took place over six years. And basically, Dee and Kelly got what is today still to this day a very powerful system of magic that uh, people are getting into and we're still new discoveries are being made um and it's the fact that it's still taking place you know that we're still getting new documents that hadn't been discovered before and that new connections across them are being made really speaks to both the power and frankly in my view the legitimacy of of the system of magic uh on its own even though we should keep always keep in mind that it is we need to con- consider the context mm-hmm. uh, in which this occurred. So we're talking around contemporaneous with Agrippa, you know, you know, a lot to do, a lot of Elizabethan uh, England uh, in both some of the, in, in a lot of the elements and stuff like that. But that's, that's yeah. the very, the very short, 
short possible as short as I can possibly make an introduction to Enochian. Yeah, I think actually maybe just to add like a tiny bit more historical context, uh D was kind of like the last of the Renaissance super wizards. Yes. Maybe maybe yes. Robert Flood was the absolute last, but like D was contemporary with Johannes Kepler. You know, he was just before Galileo. So this is like, you know, the scientific revolution is like just about happening. D is mm-hmm. still talking to angels, but he's also obsessed with mathematics and all this kind of stuff. But yeah, like and optics. Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. And really making some discoveries there. And um, it, it's it's funny looking back, r- reading D, researching D, and realizing what he knows and what he doesn't know, and mm-hmm. yet what's coming through in spite of what he doesn't know. Like if I if I could just really quickly, like one one big thing is Kabbalah. Mm-hmm. If you read his um, uh, Monus Hieroglyphica, and you read through what's going on with that, and he starts getting excited about uh, making these cross additional, like this is going to be very nerdy. I'm just going to tell people to like skip down to the part where he's taught where he has numbers being added across each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you skip down to that, and you realize that what he was doing was, um, I'm forgetting, I think it was Tamura, mm-hmm. one, of, one of the Hebrew uh, methods of um, substituting uh, numbers for letters. Uh, at any rate, he didn't know exactly how any of that worked, but he's doing what I conclude to be just like, oh, he thinks he knows what's going on. He's getting it all wrong, but he's getting some ideas. So some of this information is filtering to him, but it's definitely not not like the pure kind of Kabbalah that was available at the time, if you were in the right place at the right time. Which he wasn't, so, you know, I mean... He was not, yeah. So, uh, oh, actually, like, that's also some interesting uh, timeline stuff, because the 1570s, when Dee was sort of working on this stuff, was mm-hmm. the beginning of uh, Lurianic Kabbalah. Yeah, he wouldn't he wouldn't have had access to any of that. Right, right. And so it was it was like a whole, you know, might as well have been on Mars for, as far as D was concerned, or at least, you know, he, he, he couldn't have had access to it. Mm-hmm. And yet, the reason I mentioned legitimacy earlier is that what the angels are telling him is Hebrew correspondences and Hebrew and information that there's no way that he could have a- had access to it. Just to really quickly, the Sigillum de Ameth, when Michael is referring to how the he's indirectly referring to how the numbers on the outside ring need to add up to 441, because if you add it up to 440, that means death, whereas 441 means truth. He didn't have access to those correspondences. Oh, he didn't know crazy. what that meant. Right. He didn't know. Like, there, like there's no, there, there's no way. And mm-hmm. so this is kind of, this is like, you know, you know, why, why I just get really, I get excited and I want to like tell people like, there's something real going on here. Something happened in here. <laughs> so it, it, that's why I get excited. I want to tell people about it, but you know, you know, you know, I also have to acknowledge not, not everybody's interested in this. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. But, but if you're listening now, you, you are, are interested. So. Definitely. And, and we're not even, we're not even to the juicy parts yet. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, okay. Hold on. I want to clear up something that you just said a little earlier. I, I think I might've misheard you. I think at one point you said that, you didn't consider Enochian to be a true transmission, but then a minute later, I think you said that it oh, was no, it a is. true transmission. Okay, it so is. I just misheard it is, definitely. you. Good. Yeah. Okay. Cool. okay. I was kind of like, wait, hold on. What? What? Definitely. It definitely is. And if I, I, I'm prone to misspeaking too, so, oh well. Well, yeah. then uh, maybe I can fix it in post, as we say. No worries. <laughs> I mean, I, one of the impressions that I've got from listening to people talk about this before, like I haven't, I haven't gone back and read uh, D's original notebooks or any of the stuff that is available. It's, it's kind of confusing to figure out where to get started. But one of the impressions that I've had is that the system of magic that's given to uh, D and Kelly uh, evolves. So it sort of starts in one way and and ends up evolving into something completely different or even something more complex or something of that nature. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about that? Like what happened? Yeah. So the initial transmission, it's almost like you're tuning, if you can imagine (laughs) the old school radio dials where, you know, you're tuning into something and, Mm -hmm. you know, half the audience just fell asleep. Um, But if, you know, you're getting, you're getting a lousy transmission, right? And you're trying to, you're trying to like home in precisely on what frequency that's happening. It seems like early on um, when Edward Kelly is getting that, we get certain, certain issues. Like we get the, the Archangel Uriel showing up and then what happens is, is that it turns out, no, that wasn't Uriel. 
that was because they just gave you this false kind of thing. It looked just like a, a grimoire, you know, a, a sigil of the time. Mm-hmm. And that was false. That was a false sigil. So, you know, that, that was the fake one. So you have to go, here's the real Ariel, you know, and it's like, what, what's going on? So, but it, it seems like, okay, they're, tra- they're trying to get in on this transmission. They kind of screw up there, but then they come back. And it seems like it's, a, it's about sort of finding exactly where along that dial that that poor Edward Kelly needs to like, you know, stick his mind at and and hear. And we, we see this again, you know, with, with other episodes too, where like the original watchtower table, well, it turns out that we got the, the correspondences wrong. So the tablets are all right, but they're in the wrong placements on this great table. So we need to mm. give you the rece- the revised, you know, watchtower table. And it's like, what? What's going on here? But it's, I, I, I mean, if I'm a psychic and I'm having like very, very crystal clear visions and oh, by the way, I need to make a correction here and there. Well, it's like, it's like you, you, met, you know, these like people who have like these super powered memories mm-hmm. and they're told to like look at something for a split second and then they take it away and then they show the thing again. They have to figure out like where three pixels were, were altered right. and they're able to do it. It's kind of like that. It's like, okay, well, here's you, you almost got it. Now we'll show you the three pixels that need to be altered. And sometimes it can be like changing an entire configuration of something. So I mm-hmm. think that's the level of difficulty except you have to do it not with memory, but with psychic stuff. So I'm not going to like lay any blame on poor Edward Kelly for having to redo some stuff. Yeah. He was, uh, he had a rough time with things. He did. He yeah. did. And it, you know, the guy was half of D's age. And so the, I couldn't imagine being in my twenties and having to be able to handle all of this, you know, it, it's, yeah. I, yeah, it's, it's tough. Even being able to handle D himself, like he comes across yeah. as a very intimidating sort of person. It would be just, tough dealing with him <laughs> yeah i mean the, the guy's a genius the guy's got political influence and yet you're also kind of you know you, you as in you edward kelly uh, you know edward kelly was a bit of a hot shot at one point he goes into d's diaries and where d has written down that he's that d has confirmed that you know basically edward kelly is something of a crook or a fraud or has some kind of charlatan you have the audacity to go in and scratch that out and say there's no such tr-, you know that's not that's not true at all you know <laughs> clearly in your own handwriting like what do you like like there's something going, like what are you doing dude this is your meal ticket and you're messing but i mean i i'm, I'm clearly paraphrasing but mm-hmm. it's just like their dynamic was interesting and yet uh, you know, John D was was brilliant, and he he did teach Edward Kelly a lot of stuff. And so, I think there was some genuine affection that he had uh, for for Edward Kelly. But he definitely he was on a mission. John right. D was on a mission. John D was on a mission. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yes. for sure. On a mission from God, <laughs> <laughs> or to God, or to God. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, in your process, you talk about uh, this ritual called uh, Gebafall. Mm-hmm. Am I saying that right? Am I saying yeah, it the way well, you it, say it? it uh, the, well, I, I take the pronunciation from Aaron Leach, which is Jebafall. And he, if, Jebifal? if somebody knows the pronunciation, Jebafall. Okay. Yeah. Even the, yeah. So there it is. I'm writing it with a J. <laughs> I know. Why couldn't they spell back then? Why couldn't anybody spell that? I don't know. Now? Why can't G no... just make one noise? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, I guess we probably screw it up by calling it G. We should call it G. G, yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, so Jebafall is interesting. It's, um, the, the, so the first part that comes through uh, to, of this transmission, just taking a quick step back, is the heptarchy, right? Which is this idea, it kind of is reflecting old England where you had the seven kingdoms and then they were sort of united you know, possibly under King Arthur or maybe another king, mm-hmm. but the, but what preceded Arthur was the was the heptarchy, the Seven Kingdoms. So what happens with D and uh, Edward Kelly is that they get this transmission. Well, here's an angelic heptarchy, and so you need to be interacting with this thing. And so, so this is the message that they get from the angels. So the heptarchy, going back to that root word for seven seven being seven kings and seven princes each each king has a prince but that's not quite true because there's also an eighth king uh as well as an eighth prince who's sort of like in the in, in my experience in, he, they're sort of in the background and they're able to like switch stuff up so just to give you a quick example 
my uh, I did some work. I did working uh, working today, and today is Sunday. But I really needed to also make sure I got uh, the Saturnian king Benapsin in there. So I said, so I called on the eighth king Karmara, and I said, please let me switch up the day that I can do this. And Karmara's like, well, okay. So they they he sort of allows a little bit of flexibility to the rules that you would otherwise in the in the typical grimoire fashion you would usually call up the king and the prince on the proper day of the week mm -hmm. so there so there but there's one for each day of the week uh slash planet in the sky you know astrological planet that would have been visible to john d and back in the day and so they what do they do well scott stenwick uh among uh and and others have sort of observed well it seems like that these um, these kings are more or less following a sephirotic. So basically the sephira from Yesod all the way up to Binah. And then the princes are more like the planetary powers associated with that. Um, it's it's kind of it's kind of interesting. And but yeah, I mean, if you look at their descriptions, for example, um, King Benapsin, he has among other powers the power to cast out wicked spirits. And that's exactly what you would expect from Saturn, right? Saturn is, you can either curse somebody with wicked spirits or remove a curse or remove wicked spirits from the area, from the area, just, to, just as one example. Mm -hmm. So, so that's the first part. And the second part is the, is the, is what's associated with uh, Jebafal, which is Liber Loga, which is this very long book Full, filled with tables, not 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 pictures of tables. I'm talking, you know, go back to you know you know eighth grade math where you have tables of rows and columns, right? And so in that, what's what is the deal with that? It's not entirely clear. I basically I have started scratching the surface as to uh, how that relates to the third part, and I'll get to, to that in a second. But basically, imagine a 49 by 49 table filled with letters. Now, if you do the math on that, that's 2,401 letters. The majority of those tables look like that. Um, there are some exceptions, you know, where like the last 20 roughly uh, tables, 19 tables, 19 or 20, I'm, my math is failing me at this point. Um, they have every other letter filled in. And sometimes it starts out with, yes, there's a fir the first letter is there, first, third, and seventh, and the, the other half of the page, it's second, fourth, sixth, et cetera. So the evens versus the odds. So, but you're, so what, when Edward Kelly receives this, he receives it in English letters, right? So now Enochian, just to back up another step here, Enochian also has with it its own special alphabet with which the uh, it's uh, the Enochian language is 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 written in. Mm -hmm. So what what the angels then go ahead and say to John D and Edward Kelly is okay, great, thanks for taking the the extra special time it takes to write down forty nine pages front and back of tables, you know, more or less, almost all of them being filled with um, filled with individual letters. Uh, the first table, by the way, is nothing but rows of words in Enochian, which that, oh. that in itself, yeah, oh, right, which means you have to write down 2,401 words, one per cell. Instead of doing it in cells, they just wrote it out longhand because it was too much. I wound up redoing that when I when I wait, did wait, it. wait, wait, hold on. Yeah, so yeah, it yeah. was ahead, actually, so the first table was basically like an essay. Uh, who or knows what it actually was? Yeah, uh, who knows what it is, man? I mean, it's like, uh, but do we, I look at it? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So, we have the words that so we have the Enochian words that are spell spelling it out. Yeah, it's it's some kind of words. People who have looked at it have, with more expertise in linguistics than I have, mm -hmm. have suggested that this might be more of like a proto Enochian or a uh, a step above Enochian. Um, because the, huh. there's some crossover with some of the words, but it's not clear exactly how those two things, you know, how they relate to each other, how the language that is received later on in the system, in part three of the system, relates back to what they're seeing in this second part, in the Libra Loga. Oh, um, wait. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's... <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> okay, so what you're saying is the Li Libra Logoth... It, it was received before the Enochian language was received. Yes, yes. So whatever this language was for table number one, 
it's it's just it's unknown it's an it's an unsolved puzzle we don't know we don't know what it is um huh. some of it like occasionally the problem is is like you know even though it took there was six years of these workings it's really not clear just i mean it, using medieval technology which is to say a straight edge writing stuff down as fast as you can having to pause so that you know your handwriting can keep up with it i mean that's that's a lot of work i mm -hmm. couldn't imagine having to do all of that so who knows what you know only i bet i'm guessing like you know not every single angelic in explanation of what's going on was written down or if it was i mean we don't know exactly what edward kelly's process was for receiving it it just sounded intense, you know, but yeah, but, yeah. but yeah, we don't, but from a linguistic analysis, it's, it's tough to say, mm -hmm. um, but I would need to, but so, so let's put a pin in that really quickly. I'll, I'll come back to that to speak a little bit about the getting from the language in the second part to the third. So, okay. so really quickly, the, um, the Edward Kelly needs to, um, you know, write all this down. He writes down all of these, you know, tons and tons of tables you know, I'm sure he's got writer's cramp. And but it, it, although if you look through the tables, to be honest with you, it's obvious that more than one person, I, I'd say about three, maybe four people were writing it down. So, so it it's wasn't clear, just yeah. D and Kelly. It, it's no, if you look at the handwriting, I'm I'm guessing at least three or four people. That's uh, were really writing. interesting. Uh... My, yeah, my guess is that like Arthur D probably helped at some point, D, John mm -hmm. D's son, um, and possibly uh, whoever else was around at the time. I have, I've taken some looks at the diaries, but the handwriting is not always the greatest, especially John Dee's, <laughs> uh -huh. mainly because probably because he's writing so fast. I'm not going to blame him, especially considering my own handwriting, own handwriting, but <laughs> um, the, but yeah, looking at it, it seems pretty clear that, um, that, that there were, there was more than one person writing it, but so what happens after they receive all this? Well, then, then apparently they needed to write the whole thing down again, except in Enochian letters and reversing the order. Now I've I've only given you like this surface. Yeah, you're kind of giving you're blanching at this. Now 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 let me give you the the heart the the part that I didn't that I left out was that for some of these if all of these were tended to be written normally, right? You know, just you know English letters left to right, blah blah blah. But now imagine you turn the page forty five degrees. And then you start writing in the diagonals. You know, you're writing these letters diagonally in a diagonal diagonal fashion. But and oh my God, that's, that's so that yeah, that's okay. part of it. That's that's just one part of it. Then imagine doing that again, rotating the whole thing 90 degrees, and you have to write it diagonally the opposite direction from <sighs> from the from the bottom to the top. And then there is some there are some tables where there's like five rows where it's all like just normal left to right and then part way through down you know the next 44 you need to write it in this weird crazy diagonal way now imagine having to hearing that oh yeah you got to transcribe all this and do it all right to left instead of left to right good luck no <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> but okay but you did this like like yeah, you you copied the uh, so first of all, you went through a process to get access to like a legible copy of the uh, Liber Logath. Uh, yes, and that, that sounded uh, like a some... bit of a treasure hunt. It was so. Yeah, I found a copy. If you search Liber Logath PDF, um, I'm sure this it's a it's from this uh, group called AOM. I forget it, it's. Uh, I can't. I'm not going to even remember the name. It's it's a Greek, I think, mm -hmm. name, but they they had done a transcription. The problem is, is that they had done it left to right instead of switching the direction. So, okay, well, what do you care? Well, I don't really care that much, but I just wanted to look at it. Plus, I also wanted to see the originals. So I wanted to keep that as like a reference copy. There's also, if you go to a site, Condor, that's K-O-N-D-O-R dot D-E, and I'll go ahead and let you write that down, um, by Stefan uh, Clemmick, I think his name is off the top of my head. But at any rate, he's got a really good um, version but that's also that's at least in English letters. So mm -hmm. the problem is, is that you're reading handwriting, right? And you're yeah. making some calls. And now it's it, it, the problem is it's not just handwriting. It's handwriting from the 16th century. Mm -hmm. and so you're trying to like say, OK, what are they? A lot of the standardization was not quite there yet. And the other thing, too, is that 
Edward Kelly in particular uh, from, I'm trying to remember who's the, whose podcast this is on. I apologize for not having all the sources at the top of mind, but you know, uh, you know, memory's <laughs> not the same as it was when I was in my twenties, right? But um, the, the gentleman was talking about how Edward Kelly, I wanna say this was esoterica. I'll, get, I'll, I'll say it esoterica with Justin Sledge. Um, they were talking about how Edward Kelly seems to have had some kind of background as uh, copying stuff shorthand. And so there's, so they're, they're realizing this, looking at the handwriting that he had and the way certain letters were formed. So if you imagine printing like the letter U, you know, how you would do it nowadays, the letter U. Mm -hmm. Now imagine putting a slash through the top of that letter U, right? Now, what does that look like? Well, it looks like the letter A, mm -hmm. right? Uh, if you put a horizontal slash through the top, does that mean that he meant to write a, the letter A? Or does that mean that he wished to say that this is the letter U pronounced as a vowel or pronounced like ooh instead of uh, right? Yeah, and the answer yeah. is, I don't know. That's the answer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So you, the, this is the problem is that you have to wind up making a lot of decisions and trying to figure out what is this and and what i realized at the end of this is you just got to respect the humanity of the process you know yeah. you're going to make mistakes and it's okay you know? so how many days did it take you to do the tables how many so how first of all how many of these tables are there there are 40 there are uh okay so the first 48 pages are mm -hmm. front to back tables so that's 96 okay the last page is the 49th page is front and back five tables but mercifully they are five three by seven tables but ah. the little wrinkle with that is is that if you do the math on that that's 105 but they were given 112 letters so you have to figure out how you're supposed to reduce that and i have a rationale for that on my blog about how you're supposed to do how i think one might do that okay. i'm not going to say okay. how the right way to do it i have to be very careful i don't want to say it's this is the right way because i say so <laughs> but there are a bunch uh -huh. and how long it took me to do well the original uh, uh instructions to dean kelly which they definitely did not meet uh was that they needed to spend 40 days doing it Ufta. which is yeah ufta is right <laughs> definitely definitely got we're we're fellow uh fellow uh scandinavians from the midwest yep <laughs> uh I, i'm not there now but i i i haven't forgotten my roots um yeah it's it, it it was not that's not feasible for a human being now what i will say is that i did spend seven and a half months every spare moment that i had and i mean absolutely every spare moment that includes waiting for an appointment to start what have you just you know lugging this around with me trying to um, complete it and i will say that of that if you were to multiply 40 24 hour days over and and then spread it across those seven and a half months that's about how long it took me if if you had fewer responsibilities than i had then maybe you, it would take you less time and congratulations i'm i'm, I'm in awe of anybody who can do this 40, 40 days, mm -hmm. you know, or not, you know, right, it's, right. it's, it's not an easy process. God, that is, yeah, that sounds like a really, really difficult and dedicated process. And yes. then once you finish transcribing the Liber uh, Logoth, then the work has just begun. Well, I thought because I was just going to spike the football, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you haven't even done the Jebafal working at that point. You've just transcribed tables. That's right. That's right. So, so uh, you know, but yes. So let me um, let me take a, a step back into like the, what the process felt like, and then we can get into the the actual Jebafal or Jebafal recreation ritual. Okay. Okay. The doing actually doing that, you would think, oh, you're just writing a bunch of letters. Who cares? You know, what it feels like is it feels like a very very subtle opening of individual. Uh, subtle bodies uh, points within your within your larger subtle body individual points within that the energy starts flowing easier within you mm -hmm. you are it's it really is like kind of this very nerdy sanctification process and feel free to quote me on that even though i, I obviously i'm very respectful of the angels but nerdy has been reclaimed by us nerds very but yeah nerdy it's very sanctification, sanctification. <laughs> exactly that's my that's my band name by the way my next band name uh, so you're doing that and your whole system slowly but surely drip by drip sort of opens up 
right? And it's like you're unlocking, you know, a million little locks within you. And it it's it's hard to describe other than that. So unless you, you know, if you've done any kind of Eastern subtle body work, meditation, stuff like that, and you've had any kind of experience Kundalini, imagine like a little teeny versions of that happening within you over that process. It was, it was great. It was, you know, kind of what, what you would expect something holy to feel like. Mm -hmm. Um, And so uh, if you have the means, I highly recommend picking, picking that up and and getting it done, you know, Um, all 40 days, all 40 days. Yeah. And then, so then um, getting to the process itself. Yeah. So we don't have a lot of information. Um, I took a a means to do this. That's publicly available uh, that I said, okay, well, and the, the process that was laid out. So if you were to search out, um, you know, something like that, I, Libra Loga, you know, some kind of PDF associated with Jebafall. If you do that enough and you get past my, my website in which I'm just singing the praises of this, uh, then you'll find that I may have it linked in, in one of the earlier, um, blog posts, but suffice it to say that, uh, I did a little tweaking of that. So that process involved doing the um, doing Ave's prayer to Enoch, the angel Ave, as it was transmitted to Dean Kelly. But then what I decided to do, and then also um, making the calls. And the, the decision that I made was to make the calls in reverse order. Why is that? Well, there's this phrase that crops up in, in, the, in the diaries, John Dee's diaries, the last shall be first and the first shall be last, or I probably have uh, inverted that. But that's a, f- a phrase from the Bible where Jesus is saying that. So that it's, you know, Jesus in that context is talking about, you know, it's kind of like the idea of the meek shall inherit the earth and the tyrants won't be in mm-hmm. charge anymore, that sort of thing. But um, so the angels really had a field day with that one. They, they really enjoyed that. So what I decided to do was take what I got as a template and, and sort of change it a little bit. I decided to do all the calls in reverse order. So the calls are, for those of you who don't know, it's this Enochian language key to unlock higher states of consciousness. And I decided to do each of these one, uh, uh, one call three times a day for 49 days, because there are 49 calls in all. Uh, but one of which is not to be spoken, I'll, get on, I'll touch on that really briefly. So, but suffice it to say, I started from the, from the back and worked my way forwards. And every time I would put my hand on the book of Libra Loga associated with that, starting with what is the last table that, which is the last page, which is the, the five tables that are only, you know, three by seven. And then working my way all the way oh. up to that, to that very first one. Yeah. So I, so the, yes, go ahead. the Libra Loga, the one that you spent all this time on was basically mm-hmm. a talisman that you used in the working of the calls yeah I, that that's how i chose to do it yes. oh that's fascinating. i mean I, I okay i had made use i had made the calls before you know separately when i had first run through the aethers but this time i decided okay i'm just gonna i'm gonna like incorporate as much as i know about enochian because d and kelly they only had the heptarchy at first but let me go ahead and actually incorporate everything that i have now because this is, the, this is the best that I can do to try to recreate what they had. Mm-hmm. So I would put like my, for the f- first call of the day, first time I made the call in a day, I would put my my hand on the back of that page and and then I would put it on the front of that page. And then the last, uh, in the evening, I'd put it between my hands, like, you know, uh, and, and hold it upright. Right, right, like a prayer. Okay. Like a prayer, exactly. Uh, and I would, yeah, go ahead. Okay, and then when you were doing this, so like one of the big things that, you know, that Dean Kelly are at least famous for is sort of like the scrying, you know, the seeing stone yes. and that kind of stuff. So while you were doing this, were you also doing some sort of like spirit contact or scrying work at the same time? Yes, absolutely. So, so what, if, if you've ever done the calls, then, then the experience, everybody has a different experience that goes with that. I, I tell people who are just beginning, you know, sometimes you might, some people just like feel something. So one person who I did it with live uh, felt heat and warmth on the side of their face mm-hmm. other people just feel a sen- general sense of bliss i had one person who i did the call for and she said whose mind is like always running because she's very very smart she's she said that she finally got a moment where like the 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 loud you know always always thinking the constant treadmill of thoughts stopped and it's like she got a respite wow. from that mm-hmm. yeah so there's everybody experiences differently but me i'm like kind of okay at at different things so i was able to like have i was able to like have a vision mine tend to be 
visual and meaning and or and sometimes a, a an actual message in words. But yeah, what would happen is so let me just really quick let me back up briefly. So every day for these seven week for the seven weeks, I would uh, on that day I would be calling one of the heptarchical kings. So that way, all of the kings were called seven times each. Okay. So I wanted I wanted to point that out. But yeah, so when it, when you're going through the if you've ever done the aethers, it's you you'll you'll get some kind of vision that goes along with that something meaningful, and what will happen is is that um, you, you know you'll it, when you, if you do this with Jebafal, first of all like the experience of it putting your hand on that. And then making the call, it's like it's like you put jet fuel in your car instead of you know gasoline. It's mm -hmm. like the difference between the two is is um, substantial. Let's put it that way. It's an exponential difference. But if you do that, uh, but so I could feel the energy coming up off of the page into my hand, and it was it was a whole subtle body energetic experience. So I would do that, and then what would happen is. Um, so I would make all of the calls and I would have basically visions like I had when I made, did these calls the first time, mm -hmm. except the difference is, is like, this was much more like doing so with a rubber yardstick. And by that, I mean, like, if you know, there are certain uh, milestones that you pass when you go through the aethers the first time. Um, if you scry the aether of zip, for example, most of the, most people who have done it from, from the people, I mean, I'm not, I haven't done a huge census of this, but if, if you reach the Aether of Zip, you will have a, an encounter with the um, deity known as Babylon, uh, which is this very <laughs> feminine figure. She's kind of Shakti-like in my experience. That was sort of what I experienced with her. The difference with doing it with Jebafal in this process was I would start seeing signs of her way earlier. And like, it was much more obvious that like, okay, well, this is clearly like, Babylon symbolism, like what's going on here? And it's like, okay, so, so, so what I, so the, the rubber yardstick analogy just means it's like you get previews a lot earlier about the, some of the things you want to, that you would normally expect to, you'd have to wait for, but there were certain limits too, like the angels wouldn't always do that. So that's just like the first 30 aethers. Then what happens is when you, the first 30 aethers, then the next 18 calls, they tend to focus more on, or the next 16 calls, we'll, I'll leave it at that. Those tend to focus more on what are uh, associated with the watchtower tablets. And so for that, I would, I would still call the heptarchical angels, but I would also have my foot on the, on the watchtower tablet associated with that, with the appropriate day. And there's all the details in the blog, so right, it's a right. lot to get into. Uh, and we haven't even gotten to the part of the system where the sigillum day ameth is, you know, carved in wax and all that kind of stuff. Have we? Yeah, that we are we are way past that because that's so already that's done. not even that's done. That's done. Oh yeah. Yeah, oh, this is so... this is like this is like the for me this is all like a second round because okay. I didn't just start with this I had already like done the done the sigillum ameth and all of that okay and now I'm just, now I'm in this other I'm I'm trying to like re I'm trying to increase uh, trying to get a better um, uh, if the way I put it is I was trying to deepen my initiation into chokma when it comes with Got this. It. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. That's interesting. I guess I hadn't, I don't know that I necessarily realized before this point that you'd already gone through like a whole round of Enochian work before you started doing this yeah, stuff. I did that in 2019. Yeah. 2019. Okay. Yeah. So you've been, this has been, a, this has been a long process. Yeah. I had started back in 2014 and I, for, you know, personal reasons I had to stop, mm -hmm. uh, which was good. It, I, I needed the time to mature and definitely going through the aethers in case you're wondering, uh, it, it will mature you even more, <laughs> but, um, but that's good. That's what we need. Right. Right. Uh, so, but yeah, I had, I, I, so I did some in early 2014 stopped, then picked everything back up, uh, late 2018, early 2019 and started making the tools and stuff like that. Okay, interesting. Uh, all right, and then you did mention earlier, okay, so we've gotten up to 46 mm -hmm. now, right? So there's still yep, you did, you three did the math more. Right. Three more. So what are these Ooh. last three? So these last three, uh, and so since you're going backwards, we're getting to the first pages of the Libra Logoth that you transcribed. Correct. So we're Correct. going we're going from your most experienced uh reading of the messy handwriting to your first attempt and these earlier plates the earlier tables are the ones that are turned sideways and 
and uh well actually it's right around um the aether of uh zip which is about the i'm trying to remember when this is i think it's around page 25 mm -hmm. is the way it works out um in the in libra loga but if you're doing that then then those are there for what it's worth there's only like three and a half of those that are really bad and screwy that you mm -hmm. have to mess around with and then the others it's either only every other letter more or less for for those pages and then the rest are they're all filled in but then yeah then so let's so now we're like you said we're getting to the first three pages that you make in the book so the last the the first is now last mm -hmm. you know to get back pick back pick back up on that so yeah so the 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 last three, we're getting to the the second and first spoken calls, and then we're getting to that third call, which is silent. So for that one, I was not told anything other than, you know, because I'm getting hints from the, you know, guidance, I should say, from the angels as to here's what you should do here, here's what you should do here. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on. It's kind of like, it's kind of like I, I can almost feel myself getting immersed back into it, just talking about it again. It's a good feeling, <laughs> by the way. But, but so yeah. So the the next two, there there's no watchtowers per se. Um, people have said that. Uh, by the way, if you're doing calls in general, apparently making the first and second call spoken calls. Uh, will juice up your experience of whatever call you're actually intending to make. So that's a little tip that I think comes from David Shoemaker, but I don't want to, I don't want to, if, if he says no and I'm offended, then I didn't mean to offend. But that's that's what uh, I, I have heard through channels, but I want to credit him in case he wants it. If not, it's all my fault. Okay. <laughs> I don't, I don't know that I've ever heard of David Shoemaker. I'm not sure if he listens to this podcast. He's, he's, from, he's from Living Thelema. But, oh, okay, uh, okay. Yes, yes, yes. So um, at any rate, uh, let me, let me just uh, before I put my foot in my mouth too much more, uh, what I want to say is um, that, yeah, so those first two calls, they're associated from other people who have written on it. Again, I'm not an expert. I'm just a guy. Um, but they are associated with invocation and evocation. And then there's that, that first call, the actual first call. What is this call? Well, the angel said it was not to be spoken. So what does that mean? I don't know. Not, not to be spoken until god's time right mm -hmm. so we don't know what that is we we have we're not sure what that is but i had a funny feeling from day one as i was getting in on this i said you know i, th I think this first call that's not to be spoken I, th I think it's just leaf one i think it's just i think you're just supposed to read off leaf one uh, so which is to say that that leaf that table those two tables that have a bunch of words for, for the most part, like there's a bottom part, which is which is individual letters, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but those those letters also make up words. But suffice it to say, I, I had that funny feeling. I didn't know what that was. And if I think that's what this is, I wasn't sure, but I also had the intuition, I think I just need to read that off. And, and yeah, it was supposed to be read in God's time. I don't know when that is, but if I'm getting this very strong feeling at my at the core of my heart that that's what I was supposed to do, I went ahead and did that. Sorry if this starts Cliff, the apocalypse. Did you immunize the eschaton? <laughs> if I did this, yes. Sorry if sorry if sorry if the reason the world is ending it's because of me. It has nothing whatsoever to do with all the CO two emissions that have been belched out since the industrial age. Yeah, it's it's all it's all Cliff's fault, right? It's Cliff's but, fault. <laughs> that's okay. I've, I'll take the blame. But the uh, but I decided to do it. Now, uh, I don't know if you've read um, 2,400 words in a foreign language that really has no native speakers, but that's kind of a tough thing to do, and it takes a, wa a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so here's, here's what I did. I, I read, I did, but I did it. I read the leaf 1B, as it's known, which is the back of uh, that leaf, which uh, it, that took me about 40-some minutes, and, I, and I, went, I went golden dawn with this. I vibrated it. The whole mm -hmm. way through. Oh wow! And then I did, and I did the same thing the in the at noon with Leaf One A, and then I did the entire thing, and that took me like an hour and a half, uh, uh, for at uh, in the evening, and wow, that was an intense intense experience. And I'll get make make sure this is back up, but you get the you get the idea here. It's like this, and clearly, why why not go out with a bang? Well, that's that's pretty intense, heavy stuff. And yeah, and what happened at the end of that was, so 
we've kind of been alighting the thing that people are probably really interested in is what are visions like, man? And there are a bunch of them, they're on my site, but I did want to mention that this one in particular was very special to me. Now, if you, if you go through the diary, there's a whole lot of very intense experiences uh, that, that you can see. There's a lot of symbolism, there's a lot of math. And in between the diary, as you've probably noticed reading through, there are some of these like revelations about the way that Enochian is structured, some of which I'm pretty sure have not been discovered before um, that the angels just like sent my way. And it's like, oh, thank you very much. You know, this will be of interest to people who are interested in that. But, but I, I did want to speak about the vision on this one. So what a, this, this is the culminating moment of, of 49 days, which had, a, you know, other stuff going on that was just, it, it was a lot of intensity. But what happened was I had this vision. And if you've ever seen like a sci-fi movie, you know, where the aliens sort of abduct somebody via their transporter beam, you know, they get lifted up into the air. It was something like that, except instead of being lifted up into a, a flying saucer, I got lifted up into this black disc, right, around which there were these massive storm clouds, et cetera. So I got lifted up into that. And then I have a vision of myself and my vision of myself at various scales going, you know, from the quantum all the way up to the cosmic. So it's like this very, it's like the cliff in this body versus the cliff in the universes versus the cliff at the very, very tiny. And I was experiencing all of this at once. And the experience that I had with that was the, the first thing that came to mind, it, it was a big theme that happened throughout the Aethers was suffering. And the concern I had, you know, I was speaking with the divine and the, the concern I had in my mind was about suffering. And, you know, God was like, well, you know, I could go ahead and, you know, God's always saying, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> but you get the idea. You get the idea. I think it's Yahweh. I mean, I'm, 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 yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm a human being trying to put words to the divine, but he was saying, you know, I could go ahead and, you know, have created a world without suffering, you know, and make all these exceptions for the, the bad stuff that people have to go through. But I really wouldn't respect myself. Because what he's saying is, is like, I wouldn't have created, I would have created basically, you know, uh, you know, for me to use an, my analogy now, I basically would have created, you know, a bouncy house, you know, cotton candy land without a whole lot of meaning to it. And I said, you know, I, I thought, and it's like, you know, I can really respect that because there are things that I could do, but, you know, like, for example, if you have a child and the child wants this and the child wants that, and you always give the child what they want you're never that child's never going to grow never going to learn how to be you know a normal adult and learn how to how to behave responsibly uh in the world right oh yeah so that was the sense that i got you know and so there's that there's that lack of self-respect for having raised such a child mm -hmm. and then what happened after that was that i got uh at, in the morning i got a portion of this as well as in the evening and then finally again at the at night i got a portion of a 49 word Again, seven times seven, the word number seven comes up all the time in Enochian mm -hmm. uh, transmission. Uh, and some of it seems to match what is on that first page, that sort of proto-Enochian. But some of it also seems to match the more recent stuff. And yeah, that was, uh, and I, I don't think I fully translated it, or if I did, it was a very tentative translation. So, but yeah, it was, uh, it was intense. It was intense. <laughs> that sounds like an amazing working, uh, especially... I mean, I guess one of the things that's really, really impressive about it is the fact that, you you know, this it's intense work and you stuck with it for a very, very long time. Not only like the seven months of transcribing the tables, uh, but then 49 days of, you know, three rituals a day using those tables. Like that's that's impressive. Good, good job with your stick to itiveness. Thank you. Way, and and let me impressive. let me specifically thank my wife, who was very patient and who herself had her own stuff going along at the same time uh -huh. that I was unable to help out with. Uh, so she gets all the credit in the world for being world's best wife ever. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah no doubt. <laughs> Could you imagine being that understanding? Oh, hey, honey, I'm just going to ignore you a lot and just write in this book. And then, by the way, I'm also going to really ignore you for, for a month and a half straight. <laughs> Oof. Yeah, yeah. That, is a, that is an understanding wife. I hope that you got her a really good Christmas gift. <laughs> yes, definitely. Good. Definitely. Um, okay, now uh, I do have some other Enochian questions. I, I kind of want to go back to some of the stuff 
stuff you're talking about way at the beginning. I was taking notes. Sure. Anyway. Um, oh, no, my notes will be used <laughs> against me. <laughs> well, you were talking about, uh, and, and, and what you were just describing, um, it seems to me to be, it, it, it might be fair to like describe that as sort of a theurgic practice, right? Like you are, you are practicing sort of like this art of ascent. You uh, compared it to the Merkava uh, Hekelot uh, methods from like really early Jewish mysticism. Um, mm-hmm. But also you've talked about using some of the Enochian stuff for like thaumaturgic work, for uh, doing like, uh, you know, real world magic, like magic that mm-hmm. affects this world. Um, Definitely. Where did you get the directions for that kind of stuff? Was that stuff that was directly received from the Enochian spirits or Enochian angels, or yeah, yeah, yeah? They, they, okay. when they, uh, if you, if you, um, like the more, like I, I bought way too many books on this, but the long story short is that D and Kelly, they receive that with the Watchtowers, especially, but also the Heptarchy, the planetary magic, you know, if, if in particular, like if you go to Prince Bornogo. Uh, he's got this ability to give you like the knowledge of metals. Well, that could also be like, you know, how do I, you know, you know, you could use the philosopher's stone lead from gold, but if you know metals well enough, you'd know how to make better steel, you know, how to make better this or that. Um, but the uh, watchtower angels in particular, those more elemental angels, they're angels of, for example, mechanical arts and transportation. And oh, oh by the way, gold and precious stones. Hey, you want to find that metal detector detector, go in the backyard and see where, you know, see where there's gold out back, you know, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. So yeah, there's um, it's already there in the, in that uh, initial part of the system. So definitely check it out. And if there's practical stuff you want to do, you know, make sure your heart's in the right place, but Mm -hmm. yeah, there's stuff that if, you know, you need, you know, if you need a little financial windfall, I'll give you a quick story. So when I was first beta testing the, um, the watchtower tablets that I had done had about a 50% success rate. Uh, one of these things that I'm counting as a success because the person who I did it for, uh, you know, I, I went on this discord server and I said, Hey, if anybody wants me to do some magic for him and just test it out, just let me know. And they, of course, a bunch of people replied. One of them w- was they wanted gold and precious stones. And I said, okay, so I did the, ma- I did the ritual, blah, blah, blah. And so, and I used uh, Stenwick's method. I want to give him credit. Um, Stenwick, Aaron Leach, and Scott Stenwick, Aaron Leach, and a, and a bunch of others like uh, Lon Milo Duquette, just to name three of the big names in the field. Mm-hmm. They they all have uh, good books that that give you can give you results, um, and that help you understand the system a lot better without having to go back to the diaries. Although the diaries are also very important, you know. But I, I want to I, I just want to make that clear that. If you're just beginning, those are good places to to get a, a good sense of the system. But, I mean, the first Enochian yeah. book I got was Enochian Chess. Okay, wow. <laughs> I don't know if you've Ooh. seen that one. That's a I, I I remember sort of looking into it, and being like, "What is this?" <laughs> yeah, Enochian is hard enough, man. With chess, it's like, oh, I, it's boy. some sort of Golden you... Dawn board game that some Golden Dawn guy invented. Have you Have you looked at yeah. it? Yeah, I've heard of it. I have not looked into it, but. How, more power to you for for having opened that up and, and gotten however far you got with it because I I don't even I, I I that is beyond my capacity. <laughs> I it was so long ago I don't remember I'm sure I still have the book I'm, I'm yeah I do still have the book but awesome I don't know the... <laughs> yeah take a well the more you get into Enochian the more that'll probably make sense too right but, right yeah so so I did this ritual for gold and precious jewels and I you know I don't know if the guy's gonna find you know. I don't know, uh, Jack Sparrow's treasure or whatever, but I, so um, probably not because he's a fictional character, but uh, I look up the, so I hear back from the guy and the guy tells me, okay, you know, he doesn't tell me, give me, okay, I found, I found, you know, a nice gold ring or anything like that. He says that he found at a garage sale and he bought for like a dollar or two, a desk, an antique desk that is worth thousands plural of dollars and that was how that came through for him now i you know he i'm gonna count that as a win because it didn't come in the form that we were expecting but it certainly came in the spirit of gold and precious stones oh yeah that's that's amazing i was impressed with that i i have not had my windfall yet but that's okay (laughs) uh you know uh maybe i'm just better at doing magic for other people but uh, i mean you know maybe you uh (laughs) you know you got to uh have a chat with god that might be windfall enough 
<laughs> yeah, I, I, I will definitely take that. I'll definitely take that over 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 buried and treasure. Weren't Absolutely. you literally to- literally told that your suffering is important? Yeah, I was. So there you go. I you're, was. you're doing great. Just keep suffering. Thank you. Suffering Thanks is its own gold. <laughs> yeah, it, it is important. And yeah, and it 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 definitely um it you know I'm not going to say go out and suffer because that you know Ugh. not that but right. you know if if it happens to you there it's something you can learn from. So. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I I hate getting that reminder. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, uh, so beyond Enochian, like one of the things you've been writing about in your blog recently, we aren't going to be able to get into this a whole lot, but I, I would love to get a sure. little bit of info on this just so people are going to like go read it and, you know, eventually we can maybe do a second episode about this. You Ooh. started working on looking at, uh, sort of parallels or connections between Tibetan Buddhism and Enochian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about what you have started to see or what you're starting to play with or what you figured out? Yeah. So I definitely don't want people to say, this is what Enochian is. It's Tibetan Buddhism or vice versa, because that would be, you know, cultural misappropriation slash confusion slash what is this guy talking about? But what I will say is there are some interesting overlaps. So one example is, and a lot of this is you know, experiential. I don't, you know, so please just, when I say the the way I try to phrase it in my blog is I say, I'm trying to bridge the two traditions. Does that mean I'm, what I, and what I'm trying to do with that is I'm trying to say, here are some interesting connections that you might want to look into. Mm -hmm. So some of the interesting things that people who may not know about Tibetan Buddhism, which, and I'm not an expert in this by any means, I'm more, I'm, I'm, I, I need to learn more about Tibetan Buddhism than Enochian in order to make this stuff happen. But what I will say is that there are some interesting uh, parallels and um, similarities. So for example, a lot of the, if, if you look at the, one of the big color schemes in Tibetan Buddhism for the elements. There's, you know, you think about, well, what's it in Western magic? Okay, well, color-wise, you know, you have red, fire, that in the original Enochian system, as well as probably back more generally in the context of the of the magic of the day, uh, red tended to be in the east. The Golden Dawn switched it up with, with the south. They, they switched air and fire, but the fire was east and air was south and water was uh, west and uh, earth was north. Well, if you look at the way it is in Tibetan Buddhism, it's everything's the same, except it's all a 180 degree rotation. So you have fire in the west instead of the east, you have water in the east instead of the west, you have air in the north instead of the south, and you have earth in the south instead of the north, which is odd in some ways, uh, but it, it does make some sense if you consider the geography, especially of, let's say, China, where the you have this big hot desert to the west, and you have this nice cool ocean to the east of mm-hmm. China, right? Sure. So it's that whole, it's that whole idea that, it, it, that that's just like one, one little wrinkle to this. Another thing that I would say is that if you look at Tibetan Buddhism in general, or you know, one of the big things they're known for is the bardo and the, the dying process. Mm-hmm. So the, to make a very quick oversimplification, when when you die, there are 49 days when you're in this intermediate state known as the bardo. Well, if you've been paying attention class, you know, the number 49 comes up a lot in Buddha in, in, in Enochian as well. You have 49 by 49 tables, you have um, seven uh, princes and uh, and uh, you know seven kings and you also have uh, six ministers so each king has 49 associated with that I believe that's what it is um, so at any rate long story short there's this big septenary feel to it now is that because they both are looking at the same sky with seven planets and stuff like that I'm not going to say I know because I don't but what I'm saying is is that one other thing that I would mention is, is that a lot of the concepts in Tibetan Buddhism, stuff that is kind of foreign to the West, stuff, the idea, for example, of the empty, of, uh, of emptiness of mind, and the idea, for example, of, uh, of a rainbow body. You can, now, you can translate this into Enochian language, more or less. Now, what, do, what does that signify? What, why does that matter? Well, Enochian is very powerful in and of itself. And yes, there are connections even to like Egyptian deities to some extent uh, with, d- straight from that original transmission. 
But to me, it's important to realize, to, to look at Enochian as having a, the possibility of a lot of connections to other systems. And Buddhism tends to be something that I have more knowledge about beyond my you know, fundamentalist Christian upbringing. Um, but I have more knowledge of uh, Buddhism because that's kind of what I settled on in my 20s. So knowing that, I said, well, which of these things could I translate into Enochian? And the Enochian dictionaries that are out there they're not, they're not like tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands of words long. We're talking like two or 3,000 words. So to, find, to be able to come up with phrases like empty mind, that's a big deal, you know, and to also have a phrase, for example, a luminous mind, you could do the same thing. Not a, not a perfect translation, but you could say a mind of light, for example. Mm-hmm. And finally, you could also um, just very briefly uh, talk about the word rainbow is not an Enochian. Somebody's going to say, aha, got you. Well, haha, I got you. Get, not getting me. But uh, the idea <laughs> is that you could, you could, you can use phrases like variety of light, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the only variety of light you have is either intensity or color, right? So that's the sort of thing that you can make some connections that allow you, let's say you're an Enochian practitioner like me, who is also interested in a lot of uh, Buddhist material you can make some connections that way. And you can use Enochian possibly, I'm not gonna say successfully, but you can use it in an attempt to gain some uh, Tibetan Buddhist, in my case, insights. So the, the, the larger encouragement that I have to somebody who's into Enochian is, especially if you're coming from a different tradition that I haven't mentioned, is to look into the, the crossover effect into another religion. Um, I've okay. already mentioned, yeah, I already mentioned like really quickly on my blog, um, how the the god uh, Amon seems to show up on that Sigillum de Ameth itself, if you if you if you look at it. So it's just one of the the blog posts that I've tried to put out there to to help that sort of um, uh, crossover, you know, from from Enochian into different religions. And my mm-hmm. particular interest is uh, is in Tibetan Buddhism. Oh, that's 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 fascinating. Yeah, I've uh, I've thought about the. You know, I don't know very much about Tibetan Buddhism either, but I have received a little bit of uh, stuff with uh, Dzogchen, which is a Tibetan mm. Buddhism line, and um, looking at some of the similarities there between some of their practices and like some of the stuff that you learn in the in you know Western esotericism, it is fascinating. There are a lot of uh, there are a lot of parallels. So, are you, so you, you're still using then the uh, Libra Logoth tablets or tables that you've transcribed. Uh, I- I have it. I have not been. I haven't been using it just because the, the materials that they got originally were really that in, initial um, transmission was only meant to just sort of um, take care of uh, to open up that third part, mm-hmm. which is where you get into stuff like the aethers and stuff like that. Right. Um, so that's that's kind of the main reason for for Libra Loga, but it was also. In particular, the angel said that this was supposed to be an initiation into wisdom, or mm-hmm. even, I don't know if they used that phrase, but very much paralleling the initiation into Bina, the 49 gates of Bina, and then the 49 gates of wisdom that mm-hmm. go, along with, uh, go along with that. So yeah, that, and, and with that, they, was, they were then able, sanctified enough to be able to receive. They were, they, John D. apparently and, and Edward Kelly were apparently scolded for not working fast enough. So they only got a partial goody, goodness out of, out of that. So I've been uh, hoping that I've been, uh, I, I did it as quickly as I could because they definitely delayed. You know, they definitely took it easy right, and just right. kicked back. But as soon as I felt called to do that, I, I did my best to get it done as quickly as I could. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. This has been this has been incredibly informative. Uh, you have your website. Do you want to tell people where they can find you online if they want to read this stuff? Sure. Yeah. Uh, go to enochian.today. It's a WordPress site, so it'll redirect you. But it, it's me. Uh, the uh, and I also have another uh, website called yourlightbridge.com. That's more for coaching services and stuff like that. I do gifted coaching. I also have recently opened up astrological consultation. Uh, having uh, received a pretty high score on the uh, NCGRPAA uh, level one exam. So I'm, I'm definitely a professional because I've taken money for readings now. Well, congratulations. That much, and thank, thank you very much. Uh, I'm, ta- I'm giving a reduced rate through the end of the year, $25 for an hour. That's pretty, 
pretty cheap and it will definitely not be like that for, for <laughs> starting January, starting midnight. As soon as, as soon as that ball touches, you know, touches down, then at the, you know, and the countdown is over, you know, mm-hmm. right, right at the stroke of midnight, every, all, everything changes, but okay. just get in con- contact with me through email and you can, you can reach me that way. And hopefully I'll be able to shed some light on whatever it is you want to find out from your horoscope. All right. That's excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I really look forward to seeing what you work on in the future. And um, yeah, good luck with the with the astrology work. That's really cool that you managed to do that. Thank you very much, Reverend Eric. I appreciate it. This has been another episode of the Arnamancy podcast. Thank you for joining me. I have been your host, Reverend Eric. You can find Arnamancy online at arnamancy.com, and you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. If you like what you hear, please consider supporting the Arnamancy Project for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash arnamancy.